going hey my name is pierre holsebus and welcome to hustle is the hack it is my podcast and i pierre holsebus with over 30 years of direct technology sales experience am here to help i am here to help you acquire identify and retain the most valuable asset that you can have today on the face of this planet What is that important asset? Well, if you're in business, it's customers. It's all about customers. Customers are king because they bring something to the the show, something that you need. They bring usually some cash with them. You need some PDPs to pay the bills. And, uh, you know, so, hey, nothing happens until somebody sells something, and that's what we're here all about. It starts with the customers, and sadly, it comes to the end when you don't have any more of those customers, so ever dies with the most customers is the winner. How do I do this? Well, let me tell you, I take the latest innovation in business and proven models and methods and technology, add that to my 30 years of selling information technology, mix that all together in my patent pending Pierre stack of stuff. That's right. It's available on uh, amazon.com or Ronco or where fine home appliances are sold. The stack of stuff blender You can freely read this on my blog, of course. I spit out all this amazing analysis and business positioning. It's exciting. It's something that you should participate in. All right. Anyways, hustleisthehack.com is the website. And uh, we're going to be right back after this important message from our sponsor. Hey guys, I'm always getting asked about my podcast and and how do you get to make it and you know what tools are you using to get online and get your ideas out there? Well, let me tell you, if they haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's by far the easiest way to make a podcast today. Everything you need is all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer and then Hosting, which is kind of actually technically relatively complicated. They do all of that stuff and distribute all that stuff. Guess what? For F-R-E-E, they do all of that. It's uh, Spotify. You'll see your podcast show up on Apple, on Stitcher, all these great platforms. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, did I mention that it's free? So here's how you do it. You go to the Anchor app. Go to the App Store. Just put in Anchor. Or you can go to the anchor.fm and you can get started right away. Thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. Hey, we're back. That's right. We're back. It's the Hustle is the Hack podcast. And I hope you're having a great day. I know I certainly am having a great day. And uh, I'm working on... uh, Man, I got so many irons in the fire, and it's just before the holidays, so well, it's just about ready to get that turkey cooked, um, Brussels sprouts going, 
It's uh, it's all sorts of fun. It's all sorts of fun. That's what happens here in the uh, Hustle is the Hack studios. Uh, what we do here is uh, we're going to have you sit down and enjoy our time together. And we are going to spend some time talking about customers and selling and all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, so um, if you're listening to this over the holidays, happy Thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for. Uh, one of the things that happens on uh, a lot of my job People are like, Pierre, you're so up, you know, you're so excited. And it's like, man, I just, I'm so grateful that I have a, a job and that I'm able to work with uh, really smart and wonderful people every day and uh, enjoy, um, you know, the blessings of liberty that we have here in our country. And I'm so, so grateful for, uh, for so much, for so much of the freedom that we have, the freedom that we get to, you know, work on fun things and uh, get to get to meet awesome people. And uh, that's what I really enjoy to do. So, and I get to do that every day. So here you go. Anyway, so, uh, and so that's why I'm so glad to meet different people on my podcast. Uh, What you can do is if you have a question, uh, there's a couple different ways. One of them, the easiest way to get a hold of me and ask a question. And I'm going to start reading questions and answering questions live and those questions, you can just send it to Pierre at hustleisthehack.com. Send that right in, and I'm able to uh, answer it during my podcast. And so that'll be wonderful if you get an opportunity to do that. And I do get those from time to time. I'm, I'm start getting um, some of the other places that you can post that up uh, on uh, YouTubes and up on different places. So anyway, so I wanted to uh, today talk about, uh, as is our want, we're talking about 10 tips for sales professionals. And so these are ideas uh, that, well, basically you uh, as a sales professional uh, should think about. Now, um, these aren't closing techniques. This is about professionalism in your job as a salesperson. And that is a distinguishing difference between, let's say, sales closing techniques, sales methodology. This is what it means to be a professional in the business, a sales professional, not just a salesperson, but a sales professional. And these are part of your toolkit um, that when you begin to develop them, it'll help you be successful really in almost any sales environment uh, that you can work at. Uh, whether you're selling insurance or whether you're selling, you know, uh, nuclear power um, plants or <laughs> whether you're selling uh, software, it really doesn't matter. These are the things that every salesperson should have in their kit bag and, and be doing and, and working to develop those. So we're going to talk through those today, these 10 tips for sales professionals. And uh, the first one on the list, uh, and it comes on the top of the list, really as one of the most important skills you can have in business today and really in life overall, quite frankly, it is no secret in that uh, sales, time is money, as we say, time is money. You begin to rethink a lot of your time priorities and and you begin to value the amount of time that you get to spend in front of customers, kind of those golden hours as they talk about in movies. In movies, I'm a, I'm a movie file. In fact, I studied broadcasting and cinema in college, not, not, uh, not technology sales. 
Uh, but I studied, uh, so I love movies. I love watching movies. And in the movie business, uh, when you see a really fantastic movie, uh, you know, that's um, shot in a beautiful light, usually sunset time frame, uh, they call that the magic hour. The magic hour is just right when the sun is setting. That just gives this kind of special glow to the world uh, and to the to the environment. And uh, so it's a it's a great time when you when you're making a film to shoot a film during what they call magic hour. So magic hour for a salesperson is when you are on stage, when you are able to be talking to customers and prospective customers about deals. That is prime time. That's stepping up on the stage and getting on the stage. And the more that you can do that, the better. The more that you, you can have an opportunity to talk to your um, your prospects and things on this order, uh, the better. So what's really a lot of what you're trying to do is manage your time effectively. That means pushing back on meetings and distractions. That means um, studying about your products and things not during selling hours. You know, you want to do that maybe at the beginning of the day or when you're writing emails, uh, those types of things is usually not when you're um, selling. And so you want to kind of really hone in on that effective time management. So um, as such, treat time blocks on your calendar like, a, like a, you know, like they're important. The life of a salesperson is a really a juggling act because you're really doing a lot of different things concurrently. You've done a lot of demands, a lot of open items. If you're doing a good job, you're going to have a lot of things to follow up on. And it's important to prioritize your time and uh, make sure that you have enough time in the day to do what you need to get done. And so uh, that, that becomes so um, a lot of folks work in blocks of time and uh, try to do the same thing during that time of day or during that time of week. So if you find that, you know, your high energy time is 10 o'clock to, to 1, well, maybe you know, that's the time maybe you need to be making your prospecting calls. A great salesperson is going to have um, a, their day planned out. They're not going to start the day and then start working on their planning for the day. You're going to have that figured out the day before. You're going to have, like a lot of us will be working on Sunday nights maybe, and I'm not advocating for working on Sunday nights, but um, what I found is uh, Sunday night works for me really well. I get the get a little cup of coffee, I turn on some um, nice music, and I start to think about uh, and uh, meditate over the next week. What is? What are the things that I got to get done? What are the things that I should be doing? What's the most important thing? And really having a plan for the week. I like to walk in the door in the day, come in and go, I've got three things I have to do today, maybe three to five. And that's it. The, those are the things that are going to drive me, um, you know, in that day. And then I'm going to work my time around it. Um, I will tell you this as a salesperson, your company meetings come last. A good sales manager and a good sales director is going to tell you, I don't want to see you in the office. I want to see you out in front of customers. Um, you know, uh, I want you to learn the craft. Yes, but I don't want to see you, you know, sitting in the lunchroom having coffee with, you know, your your fellow employees. Teamwork and all that stuff is good. And it's good to have, you know, to know the people that you work with that are part of your team. Now, no doubt. But it's a lot about priorities. And if you're doing a good job, you're always going to have more to do than you can do. 
And so that means when you get to that spot, now I have to start making choices and priorities. And this is a discipline that you have to be able to develop at uh, connecting with your customers, whether that's taking people out to lunch, all of those things. Um, it's uh, you can uh, basically if conversations get a little too far away from the business and away from the core goals that you have, you're going to have to find ways uh, to make uh, these personal conversations move to other times um, and and put this as the highest priority. Focus more on closing deals. You don't want to just work on closing deals. That's what it comes down to. And uh, that's going to bring you more money. Look at what you're measured on, and that's going to really help be your North Star. Um, these are the five things I'm measured on. And if those are stupid things like making 47 calls a day, that's not then the place you want to be. <laughs> It's not, that's not the, if that's what you're being measured on, you might want to consider a different position. It's it's not just a numbers game. We'll talk a little about that later. You want to use your judgment. You're really ultimately measured on the outcomes of all your sales efforts, which is closing, whether that's if you're in pre-sales, it might be appointment setting. That might be um, answering all the open technical questions on RFPs. That might be um, preparing the next set of presentations that need to happen uh, for the next set of prospects. Wherever you're fitting in the game that and how your manager is measuring you, that's where you kind of want to kind of look towards to, to prioritize your time on and focus on that. It's important to use the right tools to organize your schedule. And uh, that brings me to the next point here, which is number two, leveraging the right technology. You know, thanks to mobile devices, any customer information a salesperson needs is right at your fingertips, right? The, the, there's a lot of sales strategies and how to use these tools and they're designed specifically often for your needs uh, as a salesperson. Uh, but using the right resources to kind of keep your day organized and your customers happy by following up and making sure that they're happy. All that relevant information um, is really so close. Uh, in fact, it's overwhelming how close it is today and how much information you can get. You can take advantage of some of the most advanced sales enabling technologies in the world. But if you're disorganized, you know, you're, you're not going to it's not a random process. This is this is where it comes into some of the discipline that we talk about. And again, this is what being a professional in sales is that you need to master the technology. Now, let's say if you're a PowerPoint person and you need to do presentations over PowerPoint, learn the PowerPoint. That's part of your skill set. If that is, hey, I have to do a lot of in-person meetings, well, then you need to master the technology of the how your laptop hooks up to the computer in the room and and uh, how the demo is going to go. And that's the focus and that you need to be leveraging that technology. If you're somebody that has to show up and do a lot of remote meetings um, using Zoom or Teams or something like that, master those technologies. And there's nothing more embarrassing as when a salesperson gets a, you know, a 20 minute uh, slot to present and you're five minutes on trying to get the speakerphone to work in the room. So uh, my advice, my advice has always been to never trust that a customer is going to have a projector that, that works with your stuff a reliable internet connection that if you're selling software and need an internet connection for your presentation or going to have a good speakerphone. You have to bring 
all of that with you. You bring you bring the right um, speakerphone. Jabra makes a fantastic Bluetooth speaker that connects to any phone or computer that you can pair them up and put them in a room, and uh, they will. They're a perfect speakerphone. You bring that with you. You don't use the customer's uh, network internally unless you're in some crazy place. But um, there is a uh, there is an observable effect that the greater the chance of you closing and the sales opportunity that's there, the worse the network connection is going to be in the building. So bring your own network with you. What I mean by that is bring a hotspot. And that might cost you 45 bucks a month to go get you know a little um, hotspot. But if you don't have one and the customer's network sucks or you spend 30 minutes trying to get hooked up to the network, you know, you've wasted everybody's time and uh, you've wasted that valuable um, golden hour, so to speak. So, so leverage the right technology and become a master of that technology. You need to, here's my standard. If I can teach somebody else how to do it, then I'm mastering it. If I can teach somebody else how to do it, then I'm getting good at it and I'm getting better at it. If I can write, this is how I did it. This is how, this is the best practice for me. If you can recreate that on a piece of paper, then you've done a good job in your technology. So leveraging the right technology, and I'm not talking about a CRM system. That's going to come a little later, but, um, and, you know, CRM systems are awesome. I work for a company that sells a lot of customer management systems. It's a big part of the business. I work, so you know, I work for Microsoft. So obviously we sell a lot of sales um, uh, technology for CRM systems. In fact, it's kind of how I earned my uh, living for many, 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 many years was selling um, technology around sales systems. Um, but, and so you need to use the right sales system for your your company. If you're looking, we have a little question a little later today coming up from one of the readers about CRM. And so we'll talk a little more about that. But really, because it's so important, using the right tools is so important. um, Really tuning that CRM system in to your needs is what it's important. So it's not just about, you know, kind of keeping track of that you made 47 calls and that your 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 dials are up this month. That's not or making sure you have enough proposals out. It should not be used as a nanny system to keep track of everything that you do. It should support you. You need to, you know, be a user of the system and it should support you in your job. Moving forward, helping coordinate with the rest of the folks and with the organization, kind of where we are in our sales funnel and where we are going to be for revenue later on in the year. That's part of being a professional is doing what is necessary. That includes your expense report and your time entry if you need that. Uh, if you've ever worked with me in the past, I was horrible at those things uh, because they're not fun. Those aren't fun. But you know what? Um, it is. This is the definition of a professional. You do what's necessary for your job, not just what is fun. So sometimes, uh, you know, we, we uh, get distracted by the fun stuff and uh, we forget to do what's necessary. All right. Number four on the list. What is number four? What is it? What could it be? It is, it's a little scary for people. It's prospecting. That's right. That's right. Uh, never stop prospecting, right? In selling, there's no such thing as just stopping. Like it's like a riding a bike. Sell, selling is like riding a bike. As soon as you stop pedaling, you fall off. And uh, so this is the same thing with sales. 
It's all about prospecting. Uh, in sales, there's no such thing as resting on your laurels. Complacency is never rewarded in this line of business. In order to enjoy continued success, to pay the bills, to um, take the kids on vacation, to uh, pay a house note, to get a car, these are the things that you need to do. And so this is an important thing. Never stop prospecting. And so uh, you always need to be on the lookout for new opportunities for business. You need to think creatively of where do I find prospects? What, how, do I, how do I know that a customer is looking for um, my stuff? What is the stuff that, that I'm selling and what are the unique qualities of those customers? By identifying and understanding who your customers are, you can more effectively find out who those needs uh, of your product are and connect with those people. So again, I'm just saying, I used to sell CRM systems. So the big measure of a CRM system is it helps companies reduce their selling expense. And so who are the type of companies I would be looking for? I can literally go to the Sunday Press, look in the Help Wanted ads, and every company that's looking to hire salespeople needs a CRM system. And guess who, whose number was in there? Was the name and number of the sales manager doing the hiring. So that is exactly my customer. So when I was in the CRM sales you know, business running a company doing that, um, that was one of my prospecting tools. If I wanted to find out who was growing, this is back in the day before there was LinkedIn and other things, you know, I'm prospecting using the Sunday wanted ads, the help wanted ads uh, to see the employee growth. So uh, there's a lot of different tools that you can use. Um, LinkedIn, I just mentioned Sales Navigator. And again, for full disclosure, I am an employee of Microsoft. Uh, in my day job. This is a little side hustle that I got going on here. Anyways, uh, so uh, LinkedIn Sales Navigator uh, is a fantastic tool for prospecting that can supply you with, oh, so many business opportunities. Uh, there's an old school um, approach of, you know, sending emails and cold calling people. And sometimes that works if you're calling into the right place, into the right people. And how can I do that? Well, guess what? I can go into LinkedIn and I can look at my best customer. And guess what? LinkedIn Sales Navigator. It shows me other companies that are just like my best customer. And in that system, I can also research who the peers are in those prospective customers of the sales and buying influencers at my very best customer. So I can, you know, utilize this software to help me uh, and LinkedIn to help me find other customers like my very best customer. That's about as good as it gets uh, from, uh, you know, cold calling and and, uh, sales prospecting thing to reach out through social selling and show that you're willing to put in the hard work to get those kind of deals done. Again, consider who you're reaching out to when prospecting other businesses. Often it's wiser to aim higher, of course, in the organizations. You really want to talk to people who are literally the people who are signing checks. Not literally signing checks is what I'm saying. Literally, they're the ones who can sign the check or talk to the people that sign the check. Uh, so you're, you know, you're calling into those folks with compelling business uh, insight and uh, and helping get the ball rolling. 
So your your pipeline should never be empty. You should look at it like a portfolio, like you have different investments in your 401k. I have some that are um, high risk investments, Bitcoin, those types of things. Then I have other ones that are steady eddy, like they always are going to never go up or never go down. They pay a constant dividend every year. I have those types of stocks. You have government bonds that give a guaranteed. So you have a portfolio of prospects. So this is why your pipeline should never be empty. Uh, you should be looking at, uh, we called it, I always called it the sunrise list. Um, those are the companies that are on my, like, if I could just get those companies, I'd be great. And I would always have about 10 to 20 of those that I'm always trying to work on. And those would be the biggest companies around that we're trying to get into. Uh, so you work on those. Uh, how you, So you're always working through, how can I get networked to these people and stuff like that? We're not, That's selling is kind of getting out and going through the networking component. So we're always prospecting. We're getting out in the trade groups. We're putting out stuff on social media. We're casting our net out there as salespeople. And so that's why we say your pipeline should never, ever, ever be empty. Spend time every day reaching out to potential leads and making sure you're never stuck without any fresh prospects for your business. That is right. Keep the Keep the ball rolling, man. Keep the ball rolling. Like I said, if you ain't if you ain't uh, if you ain't prospecting, you are um, you are gonna be dead in the water. You're gonna be dead in the water. That's true. That's true. Uh, so yes, yes. Let's let's hear it for prospecting. Yes. Now everybody wants to, to to diss on prospecting because they wanna they wanna think you know this is just too much this is it's so hard to prospect uh, we hear um, we, because a lot of people think prospecting means cold calling and it doesn't necessarily have to be cold calling it doesn't have to be that at all it doesn't have to be that at all people uh, that's not what we're talking about we're talking about um, and if you're doing cold calling that's great if it's successful awesome um, but there's a lot of different ways that we can be prospecting anyway so uh, next one what is the next one oh right number five on the list is perfect your objection handling. So yeah, so it's a, remember when we uh, talked about how rejection is a huge part of sales? I talked about that last week. Well, with experience, objection handling and handling objections comes um, to those who have spent some time thinking about it. Perfect this. This is not a one and done kind of situation. You should understand the reasons why a customer doesn't want to buy from you. And you should know that up front. You, you want to know that up front. You don't want to be going, oh, for the first time I've, I'm hearing this, this objection now and trying to make up an answer on the fly. You will only sound like a moron when you do this. You will, unless you're really good at improvising, uh, you really want to have a um, objection handling like a script, really, quite frankly, for um, how you're going to answer these questions. You know these questions are going to come up because they come up consistently. A lot of teams work together to like collect those and have readied answers. A good sales manager, director, or coach will actually coach his salespeople in or her salespeople in this. You want to be able to know what those objections are. So why should I buy from you? 
or compare me, compare your, why should we buy your stuff over the, the competition or your stuff is the most expensive. Why is it the most expensive? And uh, you need to have these answers uh, prepared uh, ahead of time. And even if you're like, here's the Zen move, here is the Zen master move is to actually say the objections in your presentation (laughs) before they're even brought up. Like in a really, uh, really smart lawyer, like uh, Melvin Belli, who was a a fancy lawyer back in the olden days and uh, back in the 70s, he was like, you know, like, um, you know, like on TV and stuff like that. And he like was a defense lawyer, like Alan Dershowitz, like defense, all these crazy people that you would. Anyways, a defense lawyer, if they're doing a really good job, what they'll do up front, they already know all the objections that the jury is going to have to why this person is not guilty or this, why this person is guilty there. Why? Like I'm going to pitch to you that this person didn't do all these things or they're innocent of the charges. And, uh, but you're going to have all these questions. And so they ask those questions themselves to the jury and answer them in their usually opening statement. Yes. The, you know, what you're going to hear in this case is that the defendant sitting here, uh, was found uh, holding a gun over the body of uh, the dead body of the victim. Like, and uh, that is true. That was actually true. We, that did actually happen. But how that or what happened before that is so much more important. And during this case, you know, the prosecution is going to tell you my person, our defendant is, you know, the worst person in the world. And that, you know, one time he, um, you know, he beat up his grandma. Well, guess what? That is true. He did beat his grandma up, but you know what? She had it coming. No, anyways, this is, <laughs> that's, uh, no, that's not what's going to happen. Uh, what, this is what I'm saying. You, your, your objection and your uh, things that the customer is going to say behind closed doors when you leave, you want to know what those are. And uh, you want to spend time having those worked out. And if it's price, um, you know, if the customer saying, man, you guys are always the most expensive, that comes up a lot. You know, talk to your marketing people. Talk to the company owners if you're in a small company. You know, help me understand and justify the higher cost. And sharing that uh, those objections internally is really, really helpful. That's part of your job as a professional, really, is to document what those objections are and have ready answers for them. And if you don't know the answer for them, those are great opportunities for you to have dialogue with um, the management team or with your peers or with, you know, the company owners of the marketing departments. And this is the feedback that we're getting all the time. Are we more expensive than we should? We're hearing this in the market all the time. This is a huge objection. And then they say, you know what, Pierre, you know, we, we've always been the most expensive. And, uh, you know, it's because we're on the most expensive backbone or something like that. Or our product, our, our, our components are the most expensive in the industry. And we found that those um, those last longer and, and leads to happier customers. If they just want the cheapest stuff, you know, maybe we're not the right fit. But we, we know through um, our years of experience that um, better quality components leads to happier customers in the long run. It's, you know, you have to have these kind of answers ready uh, for you. I worked for AT&T back in the 90s and I was always the most expensive, always the most expensive. And I would say to uh, my prospective customers, uh, as I was uh, working on their proposals, 
for a T1 to the internet. <laughs> Everybody wanted a T1 line to the internet in their business. And uh, that, that cost varied um, uh, greatly depending on where you were located in the country. Uh, and there was all sorts of rules and regulations for all of the infrastructure. And there was components that we could discount, but a lot of components we couldn't. It was a fixed cost because it was a um, it was a approved cost by the government, a tariff, what we call the tariff fees. So there's, you know, you couldn't at the time back in the day undercut, you know, the price of things because it was a, um, every, then everybody would have to be entitled to that lower price. And so you couldn't just reduce your price for one customer. That would be like discriminatory. And so anyways, this is how the game was played back then. And so it was that right up front. I'm just telling the guy um, or gal, whoever the buyer was, we are going to be the most expensive by 20%. I'm just going to tell you right now we're the most expensive. If you go out and get a quote from Sprint and MCI, you're going to find that we're going to be 20% more expensive. And let me tell you uh, why that is. And we would have that discussion before I gave them the proposal because I'm going to tell them up front, if you come back and say you're 20% more than Sprint, I, I, there's nothing I can do. That is the price. We, we you know, there's no discount in this. And uh, so that's not an option on the table. So, you know, we're, we're, I'm going to be upset and we're just not going to be able to do business again uh, because I won't come back and start and work through this again for you because if we're, because I'm always going to be the most expensive, guaranteed. So anyways, this is, you know, you have to be able to perfect your objection handling skill set and, uh, and whatnot. So here you go. What's, what is number six on the list? Well, guess what? You want to use some empathy. That is right. You want to connect with people through empathy. Uh, if a customer doesn't trust you, chances are they probably won't buy your product. And nobody wants to feel like they're being manipulated into buying something by someone who's not interested in, or only interested in their money. That's why it's important not to just speak with the customer, but actually connect with them in a meaningful and human way. And uh, empathy has a lot of comes in a lot of different flavors, I'll tell you. And it just it's very different from, you know, being an insurance agent uh, to uh, selling, um, you know, uh, know, let's say ball bearings. You know, empathy takes a lot of different forms. But what it comes down to often is it's not just an emotional or meaningful connection. Let's say if I'm selling ball bearings, I want to understand the customer's needs. You know, I'm going to ask them about the problems that they're facing and why their current ball bearing situation isn't solving all of their problems. And how have they tried to fix that in the past? And why hasn't that worked? And, you know, I'm going to be very curious because I want to, one, learn about them particularly. I want to understand their specific issues and needs. And I'm going to do my best to try to meet those needs with my solution. But I also am using that as an opportunity to actually learn about the business. Because once I saw for one, I'm able to often solve for many. I can take the input that they're going to give me and the ideas and challenges they're facing and bring a solution. Hopefully they'll buy it. But if they don't buy it, I'm still walking away a winner because I now understand the business better. I understand that, you know, they're the challenges in their supply chain or what they're technically trying to do and, and uh, you know, why their engineering isn't able to get good ball bearings, right? So this is empathy. It allows you to demonstrate why you are valuable in this process. 
you know, you, I've said it, it many times in this podcast, part of your deal is bringing value. You have to add value all the way along the way as a salesperson, always adding value. If you're not adding value, you are out of there. Nobody likes you or needs you or trusts you. If all you're doing is just figuring out a quote and giving it to them, you are going to soon be replaced by a website. I mean, Amazon does that. <laughs> they don't need you for that. You need to bring some value to the conversation. And so empathy and developing empathy helps you then pull it together for everybody. It helps you pull together a solution that meets the needs of a customer, not just getting a price to them. So, you know, it is about solving problems and developing a solution and really connecting to them. Uh, People do buy, even in business, uh, they may think they're buying for logical reasons. I'll tell you, often they don't buy for um, uh, emotional reasons also. It's it's usually not just a, uh, you know, we, we weigh, you know, we looked at you, did your ball bearings and inspected them and, and they don't, they don't work. We don't like them. It's usually because the ball bearings you're going to offer might be in a different type of ecosystem or not exactly work with their particular system. And uh, that means the, the buyer, um, the technical person and the engineer, they like the other ones better. And so it's going to make them look bad if they buy your stuff. Like that's an emotional reason to say no. And so, you know, we have to be able to drive into what it is that helps motivate people in terms of the internally at their organization and their positions. And that's using empathy. And uh, so that's how we can kind of help in there. So anyways, uh, I am going to take a break. We've got three more. And uh, right after this, we're going to come back and uh, hope you're going to have a great day. And we are going to continue our conversation here after this important message from our sponsor. We're back in the podcast. It is uh, Pierre Hustlebus. Hustle is the hack.com is the website, the lifestyle. It is is all about hustling and get your butt out there and get some customers. <laughs> so, anyways, that's what it is. That's what it is. There is no shortcuts. I love to go through these lists of tips and and kind of tricks and kind of talk about them. Uh, but in the end, a lot of it just comes down to some good hard work. And a lot of people are looking for shortcuts. There's not, this is, this is the secret. There, there really isn't a shortcut here. It is uh, being consistent and uh, going out there and uh, doing the work, doing the hustle. That is the secret. That is the hack. All right. So we're going down our list. We've talked about uh, empathy and now we're on the last three of our top 10 uh, tips for today on uh, every, what it means to be a professional in selling. So we just talked about empathy and why that's an important sales technique. Now, what I was going to tell you is uh, why this is an important one is this is why is this coming up all the time? Because there's a, a huge gap right now that exists in the, let's say, approach of many salespeople. Uh, salespeople often we can we have two different types of salespeople often we have um we have a lot of kind of your average like Joe and Jane that go out there and take care of customers, listen, they follow up, they take care of their, their customers and prospects and, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're doing the work. Then there's these, we, I'll call them the brilliant idiots, the, 
It's the Eagles, the high flyers, the folks that don't um, actually follow through on any of the uh, needs internally at the company. And they're kind of jerks uh, in the company uh, and uh, and the organization they work. But they tend actually to do really well in selling uh, many of those brilliant jerks uh, because they're sociopathic and they typically don't really care about anybody else except themselves and the clothes. They um, they tend to prey on folks that are, let's say, a little weaker uh, in uh, in the way that the hierarchy of life works. And so they can get out there and they do their little numbers game and they they can get things closed. And sometimes uh, they're really hard people to deal with. And the brilliant jerks are people that are just kind of messing everybody else up. And if you're a brilliant jerk, just turn this off because you are you literally lack um, the empathy to connect. You have no desire. Uh, your empathy often is fake and people know it. And so, um, you know, I, I think you're a dinosaur, quite frankly. If you're, if you're the brilliant jerk, you are a dinosaur and your, your ways are done soon. And, uh, you know, this is not an easy skill to teach empathy. It's, it's, and yet it's possibly the strongest thing, uh, that, a, that a customer can do, uh, with a, with a, with a salesperson is, is have this kind of empathetic connection anyway. So, uh, on to number seven, number seven on the list, it is, um, focusing on quality instead of quantity. That's what I said. Focus on quality instead of quantity. All right, so let's look at baseball in this. And uh, we can see um, that uh, there's a, a lot of different ways uh, to, to win a baseball game. But in the end, it comes down to at on base uh, and at bats and the numbers that relate to um, the ability to get on base. Now, it, it doesn't matter how you get on base. Uh, you, it doesn't matter how you get on base. You want to get on base, whether that's walking, getting hit by the ball, um, hitting um, uh, almost home run and getting onto second base. But it just means a single. And it's shown time and time and time and time and time and time again in every pretty much every baseball statistic is that the team that has the most on base, the highest on base average wins the game. Okay, that doesn't mean I have to hit it out of the ballpark. It's not that I have the fastest pitchers. It's not that I have um, I can hit the most home runs or have the the best catcher in the in in the league. My the number one thing is the quality of getting on base. If you get on base, um, your likelihood of getting home and scoring a run is higher than not getting on base. So focusing um, a baseball team on getting on base is a fantastic um, coaching strategy, and it's a fantastic recruiting strategy, as shown by the o- Oakland A's in the famous uh, book and movie called Moneyball, which what's all they focused on was just let's get on base. Let's just get on base. So really what we want to do is uh, unbeknownst to uh, dumb sales directors that focus on, you know, um, the quantity of calls or making sure that we um, put enough proposals out there and that we're not, we need to do more dials. Uh, this is not a good thing. This is not a good thing. This is not a good um, direction. We want to focus instead on quality. We want to focus our time on quality and seeking out um, those closing techniques to uh, are, are really great and uh, f- focusing on how to, you know, get over objections, really important. I just mentioned that. 
But the biggest thing that you're going to be able to do and you want to do as a salesperson here is focusing on quality. And how do you focus on quality? It is all about what we just talked about. Empathy. It's about qualifying. This really means qualifying quality over quantity. The three Q's. (laughs) That's right. Quantifying (laughs) the quality of a customer and or a prospect. And so this really comes down to, um, you know, you've got lots of things going on. You got um, a lot of things that are happening. And what you want to focus in on is the quality of leads. Uh, what happens is, and believe me, I've done so many studies on this myself personally, and you, you read all the literature and all the studies that are done. Um, they're going to tell you this. Um, as you get further down the sales pipeline, that sale becomes more expensive to you as a salesperson and the organization. The closer you get to the close, the more of your time is going to be needed with that customer or with that prospect rather, right? You're going to have to spend more time there. You got to, It takes longer to do a proposal than to have, you know, the in, initial um, presentation. And so if you don't do a good job of qualifying a customer, you're then proposing and trying to close customers that aren't really qualified. And so that's why you want to qualify them better. You want to really focus on the quality instead of the quantity. And I'm, I'm telling you that um, the, the more expensive your sales process is uh, later on, it, you can kill your company doing this. If you just say, hey, we're going to focus, we're going to send more proposals out. Well, then if you're measuring people on proposals and not how, how good the opportunity is, guess what? You're gonna, your guys are going to start making up a bunch of proposals and they're going to do less job at qualifying customers. If we're focused on, uh, guess what? If we're gonna, let's say focused on how many, how many, um, how many calls, prospecting calls we make as opposed to focusing on the quality of our marketing efforts and getting qualified customers to talk to, uh, we're going to just then um, get a lot of unqualified people further down the pipeline because that's what we focused on. And people are going to do what you, they're going to play the game that you um, set up for them. So as a salesperson, be aware that what you're really focusing on and you want to do is focusing on disqualifying customers or prospects early as possible, as quickly as possible. To, you know, you don't want to get as many sales in uh, funnel in your funnel if they're a bunch of crappy uh, leads and opportunities. You want to get rid of those and uh, early on, and uh, because it solves a big problem for you later on, which is later on. Now I'm sending out twice as many proposals. I'm spending twice as much time trying to close, but I'm still not getting more deals. Ultimately, in the end, it's just we're working on a bunch of crappy stuff in the middle. So we want to focus on quality customers that can be relied upon to be consistent and stable and reliable per business. Prioritize your days so that your customers get the most of your attention and having the time and energy to spend with your most bestest, awesomest, you know, prospects is what you want to do. That's going to give you the solid foundation to move your quota month after month and keep getting it in there. And gives you the freedom to branch out and work on other better customers and other high quality customers without having to work through a bunch of, hey, I need to make 14 more calls today because it's all about numbers. Yeah, it's all about numbers. And the numbers often focus on good salespeople can actually have lower outbound call numbers. 
good salespeople can actually do more. This is how it all works. When you look at the high flyers, a lot of that kind of 1% or that top 10%, it's not like they're making more outbound calls or sending out more proposals. It's just they've gotten more mature at figuring out often what are the good customers to work on and what are the crappy ones to work on. And so these guys seem like, man, they, uh, they, they, they don't make as many outbound calls. And as a sales coach, you're a little befuddled by looking at the numbers. And it's because they're actually doing something called judgment. They've, re- they've developed judgment. <laughs> and this is what I'm saying. When you focus on quality instead of quantity, you're developing your skills around judgment. And, um, you know, when you're you're coaching people, this is what you want to coach them on judgment, making good choices. And uh, and, you know, you're going to make some screw ups in there. But in the end, sales is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So, you know, nurturing those best prospects, giving them your good attention, your calendar's less jam. You're you're not going to be consistently running all over town trying to. Um, you know, work on a bunch of crappy prospects, you're really going to be focusing then on better deals later on in the funnel. So anyways, that is really important. Focusing on quantity in, in or quality instead of quantity. That is, that is a big deal. If you can do that, you're going to do well. You're going to do well. I'm telling you, take this advice. It's well earned. All right. Number eight. We got two more to go. Or actually, three more to go here. Anyways, how many more? Anyways, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just anyways. Uh, number. Was it number eight? Number eight was. Oh, yes. Number eight. All right. Um, I talked about this early on staying consistent and having integrity. You want to, you, you know, when you're consistent means you show up and uh, there is there's a whole bunch of things. Uh, uh, about this, uh, sh- you know, basically showing up is half the battle. Showing up is half the battle. And I'm going to tell you this. I've seen this a, a hundred times. I've, I've seen it 10. I've seen it a thousand times. I, if you have a home builders association show in your town, go to it. Drop your business card or fill out the little form that, hey, I'm interested in a roof. All right. There's going to be 10 roof places in town. And I'm, I'm going to tell you in the next week, you will get three calls. Seven of those places will never call you because the sales uh, people um, forget. They don't follow up in a timely manner. Um, they don't They don't have the right systems internally, or it's the business owner that's going to do it because they don't have a business development person. Uh, they're, not, they're not following up. And the people that do follow up, you can tell really quickly, they're consistent uh, with the follow-ups. And uh, so, uh, as a as a salesperson, as a as a, especially if you're new in the game, you know you're the kind of person that wants to show up 15 minutes before the meeting. You want to be there on time. Uh, you want to look the appropriate part, and you want to do that for a long period of time. You want to be consistent in your selling. You want to be consistent, and that's the discipline of being a professional. That means I I'm not just I'm not just uh, you know, having a great month and then, whoo-hoo, you know, everything is great. And I, I got my quota. I blew it out this month. And then next month you suck for the next three months. You can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. You know, once you start, once you start getting in the game, you need to be consistent. And uh, that comes because of all the stuff that we just talked about earlier about um, having, uh, being, uh, focusing on quality. We're connecting with empathy with our folks. Uh, and uh, we're not, we're always prospecting. So we always got something to work on. We're always working on the next couple, three, four deals or 10 deals or whatever it is. And uh, so we're staying consistent within that. And these are the things in life that don't cost you anything. 
and that is showing up on time. Um, one of the one of the things I learned from my papa, uh, my dad was a youth pastor, and so one of the things I and many of us, if you've kind of hung around youth camps and stuff like that, you hear this phrase: "Stay fat," F A T. And what does that mean? Well, aside from gaining a few pounds, faithful, available, and teachable. And this is this is this to me has always been the uh, the principle that I, I I can do this. This I can do. Um, I might not be the smartest guy in the room, but guess what? I'm going to be available. You know, if you need me to go, you know, do some extra, you know, follow ups or. If you need someone to go and set the booth up before the trade show or to, you know, go into town a little early uh, or show up and set up the projector or whatever it is or bring donuts, I'm going to be available to do that. I'm going to be faithful to the, the work and the things that are put in front of me that are measured, that are asked of me to do. I'm going to be somebody that you can count on. I'm going to be available. And then when it comes to the other part, which is what your boss loves to do, which is kind of teach you. I want to teach. I want to learn so that your boss wants to help you learn. Your people that are around you want to help you understand and get better. And so, but if you're not teachable, then, you know, you're just frustrating them. And uh, so if you're faithful, available and teachable, that means I have a growth mindset. I don't know everything. I am ready to go. Um, I am not ready to go every day. I want to, I'm ready to grow is what I want to say to my, my, uh, my boss. I, I don't know everything, but let me tell you, if you're going to hire me, I'm going to show up every day. I'm going to do the extra stuff that needs to be done to be a team member here. And you know what? I'm going to take direction from you, my coach. And, you know, we're going to win together and we're going to lose together. But I am going to, you know, follow my coaching uh, skills um, that, that are given me and directions. And that, that is an important, if you can do those three things, you are going to be successful in almost any job that you have. I believe that to be true. Uh, that is what any employer today is asking for their folks. Uh, teachability is an amazing skill set to actually develop. Um, again, I work at Microsoft. We call it the learner's mindset. It's always learning or a lifetime learner. I'm a lifetime learner. I'm reading books all the time. We bring people from externally from the customers. We have customers come in that hate us and they say, you know, you guys sucked and this here's where you failed. We lose deals. We go through and reanalyze those deals and tear them apart and we kind of have post-mortems when when those types of things happen we do this in the technology when we have bugs inside of the system when big systems fall apart where we have security breaches we learn from that stuff and this that's what you want that's that learning that kind of i'm always learning i've got this learning head this uh you know how is your head today it's hungry i need to be fed and uh, that is the idea that not only am i going to show up i'm going to be available but I'm also going to listen to direction uh, by uh, the people that are paying my salary. Uh, they have an idea. Uh, and if I can come into alignment with that, if I can come into understanding where they're coming from, I then can develop a really great relationship that is a give and take, like they will learn from me. And now I've earned a little bit of respect of being faithful and available and teachable. And when things don't go my way, uh, guess what happens at the end of the month? Let's say if things aren't going so great and uh, business is having a downturn and it becomes to, it comes down to you 
and uh, somebody else. And if somebody else maybe even has better sales numbers, they will typically pick you. And uh, there's been a lot of studies done on this uh, that were done by on the trust scale uh, with the military. I've read a lot of military books um, on leadership. And this is this happens all the time. You can have this really great soldier that's like a super expert and very well, um, very expert at what they do, particularly um, in terms of logistics or whatever it is that they're doing. Uh, and, and then um, uh, you want to have a leadership. Then you have uh, somebody that's always faithful, that is trustworthy, but maybe a mediocre uh, performer that you will always tend to pick the mediocre performer that is faithful, available, and teachable over the person who is the brilliant jerk that has all the numbers all the time that nobody likes. So people will work and go and cover your back and you know work together uh, and pull, you pull the best out of people when you're when you have that kind of mindset. Anyways, I I could go on to this. You can tell that I'm very passionate about this because for me, uh, somebody that's uh, not degreed. I'm not, I don't have a degree. I don't have a degree. I don't have an MBA, but I work with PhD and MBA people all the time. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't have a lot to do. My skill set doesn't have a lot to do with my education. In fact, I would say that most of the people that I work with, their skill set is not because of their education. Um, it is because they're awesome people. They, they exhibit these same things. They're faithful, available and have, you know, a hungry mind to learn. And so, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're in a business like mine, you're working on stuff that you can't even learn in college. Who can learn this stuff? Nobody knows. This is all brand new stuff. You know, uh, you're working on the cutting edge of, of tech. You know, there's no class that you could take for this, this stuff. Uh, so you learn it by, by doing. And so having that kind of growth mindset really, really helps. Anyways, so um, staying consistent. And I talked about the other um, part of the staying consistent and having integrity. So integrity is just, you know, doing what you're supposed to do when nobody's looking. That's, that's what I was always told. You know, integrity is just, you know, if you promise your customer a feature, it's going to solve that problem. You better be darn sure that that, that system has it. And is going to deliver the promise that you said. Uh, if you lose the customer's trust, it's over. It's really, really hard to earn that back. In fact, if you lose trust with a customer, you need to talk to your boss and get another salesperson to work on that account. And you know, let them throw you under the bus because you screwed it up. It's really hard to earn trust back once it's gone. So, uh, you know, we're moving to a world where um, insurance. And uh, whatever you're buying, it's all about keeping customers loyal, right? And so the first thing that will break a customer's loyalty is breaking their trust, is in product truth. If you don't say, if you say, yeah, it's going to do this, and it doesn't do that later on, they won't renew the product. They won't, you know, if you say you have the best network, (laughs) I want to read, I'm going to go on Google's, I'm going to go on the Google's right now, because I wrote a, um, a a really funny review uh, the other day, and I'm gonna see if I can bring this up here. Uh, maybe I won't be able to do it uh, in time. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna, uh, basically I had gone to this restaurant here. It's called uh, Billy Bones, and uh, and what it is. Uh, <laughs> is uh this it's a it's a it's a barbecue chicken wing place so um 
the Billy Bones restaurant. I'm going to read. I'll see if I can find my, my review. It has 208 Google reviews. And uh, yeah, here you go. Here's it. It's a nice place to go for people who don't really care about the quality of the food they eat. Uh, the staff was nice. The place was clean, a little noisy, but you got to go with, you got to have the goods. Our uh, wing dinner was served cold. The fries were soggy. The cornbread was rock hard. Sauce is good, no doubt, but it was cold. Undercooked wings kind of spoiled the experience. Coleslaw was bland, needed salt or something. Kind of bummed out. We were hoping for a good wing place on this tiny side of town. Uh, dinner for two with two sodas was close and tip was close to 45 bucks. So we were pretty high expectations compared to the great wing places that were within a two mile drive. I was very sad about this. And the reason is because on the outside, they literally say this is the best wing place in the world. Like they're making this claim that they have the very best wings, you know, around and like, we're like, there's a Buffalo Wild Wings, like, is like right down the street, and there's another wing place just around the corner. So it's actually pretty good. And uh, so it's just one of those things. If you say you're going to be the best wing place, you better be pretty darn good, you know. And this this place didn't meet any of those expectations. The food was cold. The the fries were soggy. The, you know, every part they missed. And so do you think I'm going to go back? I have better time, there are better places to go. I'm not going to go back uh, to that place. And that's having integrity or product truth. They promised something, they couldn't deliver. I'm more upset than walking in the door and going, hey, let's give it a try. And going, having a mediocre experience and going, oh, well, maybe there it was just this one-time thing. Let's try it again later. No, they make this claim. They're the best place around. You better be pretty darn good. Anyways, this is what I'm saying. Have some integrity in your in your claim. And so it's important to be able to say and to be able to know that you can say, I don't know the answer to that question. Let me get an answer back to you. And uh, a lot of times a good buyer in corporate America is actually going to ask you trick questions. And those trick questions are answers they know are they already know the answer to. And they're really testing your integrity and uh, your integrity is tested. So know that you're actually on trial and uh, you don't know all the answers and they're asking you questions that they may know the answer to and you do not. And they're doing this intentionally to trick you. And uh, so this happens. It's happened many times and you better, you know, say, I don't know the answer to that question. Let me get get back to you. And I have one rule, one rule, no guessing. Don't guess. Don't make up an answer. If you don't know the answer, you just say, I don't know. But you know what? Let me get back to you on that. And that's a way to turn that around. Instead of a moment where you could lose trust, you actually get trust back in your bank because you said, I'm going to follow up. And then you go and find the answer, right, wrong, or otherwise. It doesn't actually matter what the answer is. The fact that you followed up on what you said you would do. So, That is good. That is a good thing. That's number eight on the list. Two more to go, and then we are going to be on to the stack of stuff. Number nine, use a repeatable sales process that can be measured. Now, I'm not going to pitch you a specific system or a specific sales methodology. In fact, we're going to spend some time talking about different sales methodologies that one can use. There is many different sales methodologies, uh, but the important part is to have a methodology, you know, have a plan. And uh, it has been said by uh, one of our great generals here in the United States, um, uh, 
Mr. Patton himself said a poor plan, poorly executed, is better than no plan at all. And he would rather have had a really cruddy plan than actually no plan uh, going into battle. And so, you know, and everybody knows that once you have your battle plan, as soon as you get in the fight, you got to change that battle plan. No plan survives first contact with the enemy we know that the enemy actually has their plans too we, we we have to plan around their plans but it comes down to this it's having a repeatable sales process literally in 1994 i worked at a company i was a sales uh, director for a very small systems uh, integrator company selling computer hardware uh, and networks. And what we did was we had, we called it phishing. We called it the phishing methodology. Uh, I put it up on the board and this is before we had like act or anything like this. Uh, we just had, a, I just I literally kept stuff in a spreadsheet, but we put it up on the big whiteboard in the office and it was, you know, listing uh, every one of the customers uh, opportunities that the whole team was working on. It was just all accountable. Everybody was accountable. It's a pretty, pretty small team. I think we had eight guys or something like that. So here's, you know, the 50 deals that we're working on are listed on the list on the board. And then across was, we literally just said, this is, I made it up this way. Um, uh, you know, they're sniffing the worm. That was, that was the, cause all the guys like to fish. So we used fishing as the, as the motif. This is their, um, they're in the marketing. We haven't actually got them on the hook. They're just sniffing the worm. They're just looking at a system right now. They haven't issued a proposal yet, but we're talking to them. That's where that was. That's, you know, unqualified. That's a qualified customer that we're engaged with, qualified opportunity. And this is where we think it's at. That's like 20, 30% in the funnel. And then, you know, hey, they're, um, they're, they're, um, they're on the hook. And so when they're on the hook, um, that just means we're now engaged. You know, they're, they're, they've bought on, on us and now we're actively engaged. We've hooked them on the line. They, they ate the worm and uh, they're, they're hooked in. And so now we're working on a proposal or we're actively engaged in a proposal process with them. And then, you know, they're, um, they're in the net would be the, you know, we got the verbal. We got the verbal. Hey, we got them in the net. We we landed the fish. They're in the net. And, you know, there's always that, okay, you got that verbal approval. But until I get that check in my hand, the next part, you know, then we landed them in the boat. That is when uh, it was actually closed. So we just had four basic steps in that sales process. And uh, so it's just, we had a repeatable process that we could measure. And so now I knew, you know, what was my kind of quote to close ratio back then I could just do this in something as simple as Excel. So those are the things that, that um, in a small team, really easy to do. If you're working uh, in, in yourself in, um, in a nonprofit, you don't need a really complicated system to measure this. You just have a repeatable process is what you're doing. So, um, there, if you're in a big company, there's tons of KPIs. There's so many KPIs that you can keep track of that measure all of this stuff, just like baseball or any sports. There's hundreds and hundreds of different, um, you know, KPIs that you can use to measure and uh, keep track of how things are going. But uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, your sales strategy and um and your sales process is a little bit like a science experiment. You have theories, you test it, um, you go back and you rework it. And again, it's that approaching this stuff with a, a learner's mindset. So, all right, number 10 on the list. What is number 10? You want to seek out referrals. Number 10 on the list. We're coming to it. It's right here. Number 10. What is that? 
You want to seek out referrals, rights. You want to listen to, um, there's a lot of technologies over the last couple decades, but one thing hasn't changed. The word of mouth is still the best, most reliable way to reach new customers and earn their business. When a customer refers you to a prospect, they're making a quick and trusted connection that money cannot buy. And, you know, word of mouth works so well today. This is what fuels Amazon. This is what fuels product sales in technology all the time. If you're going to go out and buy a printer today, are you going to listen to the best buy salesman? Or are you going to go on the internet and look at that printer up and go like, for example, I'm right now considering trying to get a receipt um, scanner. Like, how does it really work? What's the best way to go? Do I need an expensive one and not expensive one? How would I, you know, like, could I work on this workflow? I just get so many flipping pieces of paper. I want to just get rid of those pieces of paper and scan them into a system. And uh, so I've I've looked and I've gone on Epson's uh, website and I've gone on HP's website and different places. But where do you end up with? You end up usually on Amazon or on YouTube looking them up and somebody doing a product review. And then you, if you go, if you're really smart, you go maybe to Amazon and look at product reviews. There are people that reviewed the product, and we are more likely today to trust people like us as opposed to experts when it comes to purchasing. And so those reviews matter, and that's all word of mouth advertising. That is how that is the name of name of the game today is uh, getting referrals and uh, word of mouth. And uh, so you want to seek that out and you want to develop that. You want to, uh, you know, consider how you approach a customer's uh, experience after they're done. Can you get permission to re, um, uh, recharacterize, you know, what they're saying, maybe in a glowing email? Can we use you as a reference account? Can we come out and do a study and how you use our product and publish that out? I mean, is there ways that we can do that? So you want to seek out referrals inside of the systems and that communication and how responsive that you are to that can really help build that relationship, you know, uh, in that. So at the end of the day, you know, there's no finish line when it comes to selling. This is why um, you want to uh, develop these skills. And these are never ending skills. All the things that we talked about, managing your time, leveraging good technology, having those technical skills to be able to do the sales delivery that you need to do. Always have prospecting, building your network of people out there and your social media following and your social network as you do social selling. Um, Perfecting all the objection handling, so knowing the challenges that you have. You're always approaching it with an empathetic view of learning. Hey, I don't know. Please help me understand better. Um, It's important for me uh, to help you in the best way as possible. I don't want to waste your time, Mr. Customer. Uh, I want to understand you guys better. And how does this impact you personally? These are the different things you want to learn about and uh, pace yourself along the way and uh, focus on the quality of customers doing a really good job at qualifying and developing judgment uh, as a salesperson instead of just, you know, chasing numbers uh, and burning out, staying consistent there, being faithful, available and teachable every day in your job. And use that repeatable selling process that you can kind of measure and get a sense for all the activity. Where, where does it, what is it, what's next thing for me to do with this opportunity? It's because I have a repeatable process and I've got referrals uh, that I'm working on all the time. So that is the list for today. The 10 tips for sales professionals. 
Yes, you too can be a sales professional if you get familiarized with these 10 easy steps. Anyways, that's hilarious. Well, with that said, let's take another break and we'll be right back after this important message. It's good times. We're back. That's right. We are back. Welcome to hustleisthehack.com podcast. My name is uh, Pierre Hulsebus. Hope you're having just a Jim Dandy day. Uh, I am having a good one. And uh, it is, of course, Monday night, which is when all the cool podcast recordings happen. (laughs) At least for me, that's when they do. So welcome to the Sales Cafe. It is uh, time to talk uh, through some awesome things. We have a, a couple of things that we wanted to, t- to touch base on here before we uh, scoot it out for the day. Uh, one is uh, universal truths. That's right, universal truths. And what is the universal truth, you may ask? Well, uh, the universal truths are these, um, these axioms. These are things that I have learned over the years uh, that, you know, um, if you learn them, uh, you will always do well. If you apply these universal truths to your life, you will. This is like the Ten Commandments. The, like I hold them that high. This is this is how important they are because I I have uh, I have learned some stuff in the tech world, and so these are um, the universal technology truths. Uh, and uh, so the universal uh, technology truth uh, number one. What is it? <laughs> oh my, that's a that's a little loud there. What's going on? Anyways, uh, the universal technology truth number one is this: it is here we go. When in doubt, reboot. When in doubt, reboot. That means that that just means hey, I got a tech problem. What's going on? Uh, I don't know. Just uh, why don't you just reboot your computer and then give me a call? And uh, a lot of times, sometimes that fixes stuff. That's a good one. The other one that goes right along with that is. Uh, if you don't, uh, if you, if that's not working, uh, why don't you just try to uh, reinstall, and that makes it all go away. So uninstall the app and reinstall, and that goes along with you know one of the great um, computer stories. You know the it's about the four people that are driving in the car and the car stops; it won't start anymore. And in the back is a gal, and she is a uh, electrical engineer, and she says, "Hey, uh, you know, it's probably the batteries out. We just need to get uh, jumped." And so they flags a car down, and they try to get a jump, and the car still doesn't start. And uh, another person in the back, uh, he's a he's a chemical engineer, and says, "You know what? I know what the problem is. Why this car won't go? It's because we're missing. There's no gas in the car, and so we need to go to the gas station and have somebody get us gas." And uh, so they get some gas, and they're like, no, the gas station, it's full. And so, no, it just filled it up. It's full. It still won't start. And then the third person in the car, he uh, he looks at me, and, and, and she says, hey, Pierre, uh, guess what? This is, uh, this is a, obviously a computer problem, so what we need to do is we all need to get out of the car, run around once, and get back in the car again. And uh, then we did that, and it started right up, so... That's what that's that's what happens when you're in the computers. Uh, you just sometimes it just takes uh, getting out of the car and getting back in the car again. Yeah, I know that's very funny, isn't it? Yeah, whatever. All right, so there you go. Here's uh, number three on the list. 
this will always this will always uh, serve you well if you um, support technology at some at your company, let's say, and people uh, come in and they say, "Hey, we want to do this one thing," and you're going to say, "I I know I learned this from Pierre, and so I'm going to not allow you to do that." And that is this: uh, hate the Mac, just hate the Mac. It's a good. Um, I I mean no ill will to anybody. I, I I kind of you know Steve Jobs and the the whole Apple crowd. They're kind of a fascinating group, but let me tell you, uh, the Mac is more expensive, and it's just different enough that not everything exactly works the same. And so if you are in the support role trying to get computers to work in your systems, the Mac is going to be the odd duck. It's going to be in the room of 15 people. There's four or two people that have the Mac, and they're going to be the first ones to raise their hand and go, um, here, that doesn't work on my machine. I just went through training, uh, a training a class. Literally every one of the people that had it, they were running Safari. It's like, dude, you work at Microsoft. Why are you using Safari? Well, you know, we should. And then the other guys were using Chrome, which is a whole nother story. And all, of, all, the, all the problem children were not running our software. It's like, guys. We work at Microsoft. Why are you not running our software? Like, what is the deal? Oh, uh, you know, and all of them are noobs. You know, that's why. That's why. Anyway, so if you just hate the Mac, you know, there's just enough differences in that <laughs> that it just always it almost works all the time. But most of the time when it doesn't work, it's just too like, I don't know, just just hate the Mac, hate the Mac. Uh, number four on the list and uh, or number three on the list, uh, it, it kind of goes with one and two, which is uh, did you check the power cord? Uh, guess what? Uh, you didn't check the power cord, did you? Nope. After all of the 14 hours of troubleshooting, um, the cord was just unplugged. You know, the USB cable was broke or frayed. Uh, it wasn't completely seated in there. This goes with a lot of uh, old school. Back in the day when you built a, a computer, uh, you had cards you had to fit inside of there. And so a lot of times the cards weren't seated properly in there. And so or somebody, you know, kicked the computer or got jostled just enough that it wiggled out. And so, you know, that's the first thing to check before you open a ticket, before you call anybody, you know, check the cords, check everything to make sure it's all plugged in. You know, the keyboard's not working. Is it plugged in? I have a mouse problem for whatever reason on my computer. I think it's the USB power or something like that. But my mouse disconnects every day. And I don't use a wireless mouse. I use a wired keyboard and a wired mouse. And uh, it, and so I have to unplug it and replug it in. And it, guess what? It works after that. All right. Number, number, this, this is a big one here. What is this one, Pierre? Yes. Number number four on the list. Just because you can do it doesn't make it a good idea. Uh, you know, we this is this is this is what happens when you talk to people who don't sign checks. When you're talking to, let's say, the head of the IT department that doesn't actually sign the check for buying stuff, or maybe uh, you know somebody in the warehouse, or you know the 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 even the sales director. Hey, we need to you know you know uh, <laughs> we need to you know, keep track. We need to start keeping track of all the outbound sales call that people have. And so we, we got this phone system and it lets you copy and, and track all the outbound calls people make. And we want to associate that with people. And, and then we're going to coach them, you know, because, you know, we want to know who's not making enough calls than the other person. And it's just, that's one of the, like, 
you know, you can do that. That's true. But, you know, and then what? Why would you do that? Like, imagine if you had a call, like, don't you just care about the close of the sale? Or do you care about how many people call outbound? Do you call up the HR department and ask them how many resumes they they received? No, you ask them who's getting hired or, or how, how, how many, you know, how long it takes to fulfill the job. You don't ask them how many resumes they review. You don't count their outbound recruiting calls. You know, you measure, you don't measure the finance department on the outbound invoices that they they collect. We don't measure people based on that kind of stuff. Anyways, just because you can doesn't mean you should, and it doesn't make it a good idea. Tech is like this all the time. Oh, I can change my phone out, or hey, we can, you know, upgrade to the next version. And it's like, why? You know, you didn't have good some good reasons uh, to make it a good idea. So make it a good idea. What's the good reason why you should be doing that? What is the reason? All right. This is for all the salespeople in the room. This is for this is for y'all. This is for y'all. If you are new in selling, I'm going to tell you this because uh, I have earned this this one here. <laughs> Number five: Don't talk to your spouse or partner about commissions until you get that check in your hot little hands. <laughs> Maybe even until you've cashed it or it hit your bank account. <laughs> Oh man, early on in the game, man, I was like, oh man, we get paid commission and you could, I was so into coal commission, you know, and so would it really help you the way that the company that I worked for worked because they paid commission based on the gross margin of something, which is awesome. You shared in the gross margin. And when you're at retail, the way that they did it was they put the little, there was a little code on the bottom. And if you knew the magic code, you could figure out how much commission you were going to get paid. And so there would be two printers sitting right next to each other, the Epson and the Panasonic. And man, we made a lot of money on the Panasonic and not so much on the Okie data printer or the, or the Epson printer. So guess what was the most popular printer was the, you know, for on the $200 um, uh, uh, Panasonic 1080 XPX, that 1080 XP or XPX, I can't remember exactly the number, but uh, that was the 24 pin high quality dot matrix printer, man. We got paid 25 bucks for every one of those that we sold. And, you know, it was not uncommon on a Saturday to sell 10 of them. You know, we make a couple hundred bucks uh, and sell out the entire stock of them. Um, back in the day. So, um, you know, but, uh, so you'd get that, Hey honey, I sold, I made 200 bucks today in commission. And she'd be thinking, Oh man, this, he's going to have such a great check. And, and we got really paid draw against our commission. So of course that $200 I made in commission was subtracted up against my paycheck until I got over my paycheck. And so, you know, I never really made the $200 or saw the $200 cause we got paid on a draw. And uh, so anyways, uh, so a lot of frustration happened early on in my career uh, telling my spouse, hey, you're going to have a great check because I made this big deal. And it's like, uh, so I have learned this. Don't talk about my commission until until the uh, till the till you get it in your hot little hands. And uh, if you violate that, you're going to sometimes you're not going to like that. It's going to not going to be fun. It's not it's not fun. All right. I do have, uh, you know, there is the um, the uh, pyramid of greatness. Every everybody's, uh, if you've watched the com- the community, uh, Parks and Rec, uh, you you know Ron Swanson, and he has the uh, Ron Swanson pyramid of greatness. It's it's really um, uh, modeled off a, a system that actually has been around for a little while. Um, the guy who was the coach 
at uh, Notre Dame, he came up with that too, the pyramid of greatness. And it was all about, you know, kind of these universal truths that you would have about, you know, being a good person and, you know, when to box out, you know, kind of like these rules of life. And if you follow these, you'd be good. So that's where I like the universal truths. I have now, uh, so instead of the pyramid of greatness, it is the Pierre Hulsebus rhombus of failures. That's <laughs> what I'm, I'm keeping track. And I'm putting the first one on the list today, the Pierre Hulsebus rhombus of failure that, uh, that is, um, is going to happen here. So this is going to document uh, all of the anti-wisdom that I feel is happening out in here. The, these are, if you follow these, you may... Um, may have disaster. If you follow this conventional wisdom, you want to, this is like, this is how my mind works. I kind of think of this, I kind of skew this stuff. So one of the ones that I see all the time, it is uh, only dead fish go with the flow. And that's the idea that, uh, you know, um, if you're dead, you know, the, the fish swim upstream and then the dead fish are the ones they, they go with the flow. They, they, they go downstream. And that's, you know, if you're a dead fish, uh, but if you're alive, you're swimming up, you know, you're overcoming, you're striving for better things. And, you know, some, sometimes that's good as a, as a, a Christian, we're taught, uh, you know, the, the, in the scripture, it tells us in, in the book of Romans to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we are taught to not, you know, be compressed or, or put into the mold of the world that we're really a counterculture and, uh, not, you know, and so, and so this kind of idea that, you know, you want to strive, you know, so if you're in your sales team, this is how let's, let's put this into practical things. When you're in your sales team, uh, you know, you have your proven sales methodology that we talked about earlier. We have all of our overcoming objections. We're um, working with compassion. We have a, a marketing team and a, and a system that helps um, get us leads and we follow up with them consistently. We show up and we're faithful, available and teachable and we work it out. We we are consistent in delivery. Uh, and then you have the guy who is the, I'm not going to go with the, that flow. I'm going to have my own thing. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go shoot the moon and we're going to go after this big whale of a customer that nobody's thought about. And I'm going to be the hero of the day. I'm not, I don't need you guys. Am I going to use your systems? And, uh, those are the first people to, um, you know, you see those, uh, 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 you know, the, the Kodiak big brown bears um, in uh, Alaska standing up on the, on the top of the waterfall as the salmon jump up and flow upstream. And, the you know, there's always that one bear up there just with his mouth open and the fish just, you know, comes right in his mouth and chomps the chomps the the guy swimming upstream being, you know, not following the school, not seeking the safety in numbers or the tried and true paths. No, this guy's going to be the, he's going to blaze the trail for everybody else to follow. And he's going to be the iconoclastic uh, person. No, sometimes, you know, in our game, safety is in numbers. And that's why you're looking for repeatable things, actually. So if you look at the way fish behave actually in the wild, they have a thing called a school. And you've seen all these awesome pictures. I've seen it myself in person. It's an amazing thing. Um, if you ever get a chance, you have to do this. 
you go out on like uh, ocean uh, fish fishing out in the ocean in like the uh, Pacific. I've gone fishing uh, about several years ago. We were in um, Catalina area, Malibu, Catalina area, and somebody was able to secure a fishing boat. And we went out and fished off Catalina Island. And that is where these giant schools of fish they um, they are just there's just seems like a million of these fish and as you're in your boat over top of them you are trying to catch those fish they're mackerels they're uh, tunas they're all different kinds of fish in there and they're in giant schools and the reason they're schooling up in these giant they look like just balls of fish that are like. 50 yards across, there's got to be a million fish in there. And the ball, the water is kind of boiling underneath and you can see them just down in there because the ocean's so clear. What they're doing is they've sensed predators like barracuda fish and sailfish and um, seals. They're causing the fish to um, school. And so there's safety in that number. So instead of that one fish trying to evade a, a predator, it's a thousand fish trying to evade a predator. It's 2,000 eyeballs. Uh, And so in nature, you see this happening all the time. Herds of buffalo, um, herds and herds of buffalo in the wild are really very hard to get because it's not just one eye. You're not just hunting one animal. You're hunting against the thousands of eyes that are looking at you and that are looking all around. And so this is why there often is safety in numbers and you can learn from each other and you can kind of get each other's backs and that's why they can be very successful. And uh, so this is why this is kind of in the rhombus of failure. That's really bad advice. Uh, Dead fish um, uh, go with the flow. Only dead fish go with the flow. Eh, You don't have to follow that wisdom. That's not good. That's going to lead you to some failures. That's that's going to lead you to some failures uh, in life. And anyway, so that's that's Pierre's that's P- the Pierre Hulsebus Rhombus of Failure. Yes, you too uh, can uh, get my book on Rhombus of Failure. Anyways, that's that's going. And I'll have another one next week. I've got a whole boatload of them. All right, uh, I did get a question this week from somebody who um, is looking at a CRM system. Actually, uh, they own an older system, uh, of an application called Act, which has been around. As like Act is one of the first. It's like one of the OG CRM systems. Uh, used to install it uh, on a local machine. It actually Semantic, which um, is the antivirus company, owned this for a long time. Act. It was one of the first CRM systems that um, it was installable on a personal computer. And uh, you could also use it um, as more like a contact uh, address book. Um, there's a bunch of, anyways, anyways, that's what this person is saying. Currently, our, our system uses ACT with a bunch of crappy third-party add-ins so we can see emails for clients. And uh, uh, we'd love to build some simple workflow process, not knowing the state of Microsoft CRM. Um, would this product work for us? Uh, could we make a business case for change? Uh, so, well, that's a really good question. The, the thing to c- think about is um, not so much the individual applications, although I bias towards Microsoft because I work there. Uh, but with that said, what we're really talking about is a job to do. Uh, what is a job to do? Well, a job to do is at use case, is the definition and defining specifically what needs to be done. 
And uh, so example like this is uh, we have a CRM system or a, a customer um, tracking system and we're sending out third part, we're sending out emails to them and we want to be able to take action in the system when the customer maybe clicks on one of those emails. We want to know when a customer reads that email or forwards it or opens it. Uh, what then can we do with that action? And uh, so that is, I would refer to that as a use case or a job to do. And anytime you have a application that requires a third party application to complete the job to do, uh, then uh, you, you have integrations and kind of um, things that have to work in between them. They all have to work perfectly together uh, for that job to do to be completed. And so I can tell you, because I know this about our platform, our system can do this natively. We have a marketing application, so I can send, you know, 27,000 people an email. And uh, when those 20, you know, if uh, a couple hundred of them click on a button, I can send them a follow-up email automatically. I can notify the sales uh, person that's associated with that account that somebody um, uh, expressed interest by clicking through to the website and downloading the white paper and we can send them a follow-up. And you can do that customer journey mapping all inside of Dynamics. So Dynamics Microsoft CRM can do this. So I'm going to tell this person, yeah, you might want to think about that uh, because that anytime, and this is kind of a good rule around uh, technology, is anytime that you can express a use case or a job to do and solve it with one product, even if the product doesn't have as many features as buying three products that have a lot of cool stuff then you can do, but those three products always have to work together every time and anytime an upgrade happens to any one of those three systems, they all have to be aware of that upgrade. And so now, you know, if one changes their strategy or the API changes in, in another one, they all have to work together. So you have to manage that. And anytime you have integrations involved in the story, you can add extra costs to managing it about 10 to 20%. Actually, it's usually about 15% uh, in, in most systems when we're doing integration. So the actually the cost of that is even more expensive. So um, when you can eliminate all that integration and do it on one platform, it's way better to do it on one platform every time. So yes, that would be the answer to the question. Let's go with one system. How's that for a deal? How's that for an answer? That's a pretty good answer, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? All right. Well, with that said, I want to, what time is it? Let's check our time. Time check. Boulevard watch time. Time check is, uh, we're about, uh, let's see, we're about an hour, 20 minutes. We got about five more minutes we want to go. And I do have, um, let's see here. Let's go down the road a little bit and talk about our, um, what else is going on here, Pierre? What is going on? I'm going to talk about the stack of stuff. I'm going to talk about the stack of stuff because I got a couple of things in the stack. One thing I thought was really, really interesting that uh, came out over the, well, two things that came out over the weekend uh, uh, on the list. The first one is you got to be following anybody that is in selling uh, and really interested in business. Um, you have to be following Elizabeth Holmes trial. And Elizabeth Holmes uh, is a um, a young lady that, um, by all in all measures, is a brilliant nineteen year old college dropout. She started a company uh, in two thousand and three that came to be worth billions of dollars, uh, and uh, now she's facing eleven counts of wire fraud and conspiracy to commit fraud. 
And uh, so uh, there you go. And uh, so she ran a company and uh, it is not exactly clear uh, to everybody that the company that she ran actually could deliver. In fact, they couldn't deliver. This is the problem. Uh, she made a bunch of claims, uh, and this goes along with all the stuff that I talked about, being a person of integrity and not being the brilliant jerk. She uh, vi- she violates two of those things on my list. Uh, she not only is a brilliant jerk, she's definitely brilliant, and nobody um, disregarded that, although some people um, early on in, in her academic career, um, when she was talking about leaving um, her academic career, uh she uh, she had this kind of pipe dream of what she was going to quote unquote engineer. She, um, everybody that looked at what she was trying to engineer said, this is not going to work. And of course, when you're a brilliant jerk, you say, of course, you think it's not going to work. So she didn't listen to anybody. She went off and started this own thing. And because she was such a persuasive person, um, a lot of people um, followed her um, and she was able to raise a lot of money and she was able to. Um, uh, really shape her image in such a way as to, um, you know, indicate she was some sort of really smart person. And uh, she was like the next Steve Jobs. She talked like Steve Jobs. She modeled herself to even look like him in the way that she talked and dressed. And um, so she um, she was not able to deliver. And the, the system that they had was super complicated, and they basically built the fake it till you make it model, and they faked a lot of stuff. All, and they were in, you know, it's not like a small thing. It's not like they were selling potato chips or something like that. They were selling medical testing um, devices that actually couldn't test for what they said that they were testing. And they effectively, I think they're going to get convicted for fraud because uh, she... Um, not only lied to a lot of investors, but she also violated a lot of her customers' um, stuff. She they, they gave the impression that they were doing the testing on their machines when they were not. They were sending testing out to third-party labs and then claiming that work as their own. And uh, so at least that's how it appears in um, all the reporting that's been done up to this point. And so if you're not familiar with her story, it is just a uh, it is just sitting on the sidelines watching this disaster take place. Uh, She's just reconfirming so much of the things that I have said and uh, and whatnot in terms of how um, salespeople can really manipulate weak minded other individuals. They can play the. I'm the smartest person in the room card and you don't know. And so you have to trust me. And so she built trust based not on actually doing anything, uh, but on just her kind of presence. And uh, so then she believed her own BS basically is what it came down to. And so just bad. Uh, She was not a fun person to work with by, by many measures. And, and anyway, so it's going to be interesting. It's coming down to the final um, lines here. Uh, the final parts of the trial are, are coming uh, out, and uh, she's uh, she's making her case. She's making her case. Uh, let's see what happens. Anyways, the next one on the list. What is the ne- Yes, thank you. All right. What's the next one on the list? It is uh, Riot Games. Riot Games. So, um, all right. So, to change the subject 180 degrees, I'm going to talk about online gaming for a minute. Now, all right. Not only did Xbox have its 20th anniversary this week, and so um, I, I even before I worked for Microsoft, I, I played Xbox for a long time. I love playing video games uh, and and had for many many years, and uh, it's just really interesting to kind of see the whole. Um, 
evolution. You know, for me personally, I started my first um, computer game I ever played was probably 1977. And it was not on an IBM kind of personal computer. It was on a mainframe terminal playing uh, Oregon Trail, of all things, uh, uh, where there was no um, display. It actually came off uh, a on paper. It printed off on paper. That's how old I am. And I am so old. And uh, anyways, you could play Oregon Trail that way. And so a couple of years ago, actually, I went with my kids to uh, where Riot Games exists in uh, over in the... Um, in the Los Angeles area, and they uh, Riot Games uh, has a, a game called League of Legends, and League of Legends is just giant. It is so hard to comprehend how big it is in terms of not only the online gaming, but how many eyeballs it attracts in terms of advertisement. It's really amazing, and they released over the weekend their final viewership numbers because they just had their world championship stuff over the last couple of weeks, and um, so the numbers are, uh, um, it is um, jaw-dropping, jaw-dropping. The finals uh, that was, it, it was in South Korea, uh, it was between a Korean and a Chinese team. The average audience in, in an ad, on the average time was 30 million people were watching League of Legends um, last weekend. Uh, the year before, this is a uh, an increase of the year before by thirty two percent. At the peak, this is that is the average of the time for the 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 actual games. The at the peak, it was seventy three million people watching um, that, which is a sixty percent viewership. So seventy three million people uh, were watching the. Um, League of Legends um, um, uh, a game. Um, so if we look at the, um, let's look at the Olympics uh, ratings uh, over the, uh, how many people watch the Rio Olympic opening um, or the Tokyo games. Uh, let's, let's find one here. Uh, I did have it, uh, the, the 2021, here you go. The 2021 um, uh, Summer Olympics, uh, the primetime viewers for opening night um, of, of the game, the premiere, the primetime um, was uh, 15 million viewers per night. That's what they were they were in. And then um, the um, the like um, even during the Summer Olympics uh, in London, it was uh, 31 million uh, at the, at the peak. So, uh, uh, an average of 10 million people watched, uh, just, uh, 8 million on NBC. So, you know, 8 million, man, that sounds like a lot of people, a video game online, um, uh, just hit 78 million viewers. That is, that is a, uh, that is a sea change people. This is what I'm saying here. <laughs> There's people that are not watching regular sports anymore. Uh, a whole group of young people 
uh, that are have highly disposable incomes that are considering uh, entering the job market uh, that are loving this game and the this event and to the tune of 73 million people around the world. So not only are you getting some great sponsorships, uh, you're looking to a really great demographic. Uh, I think this is going to this stuff is changing the way that uh, people experience um, what used to be television and, uh, you know, uh, the influence of these things. It's amazing to me. You think of an uh, organization and I put it in the stack, uh, CNN, uh, CNN ratings uh, on an average. What do you think CNN is doing on an average uh, day? On, an, on just an average day, a total viewers uh, in Q3 2021, 800,000 people, less than a million people are watching um, CNN at any time. They averaged in a total day, the network averages a total day is 500,000 um, viewers during the day. And uh, the primetime viewers uh, in the most desirable demographic of, of 25 to 54, uh, they're doing 188,000 people, okay? So just this is what puts this into perspective. Not only is are they down just as a whole, but you think of the influence uh, politically something like CNN has, and you look at the very small amount of people that actually watch or listen to CNN, and uh, we have more people to the tune of thousand, literally nearly a thousand times more. It's literally a hundred and a um, hundred times more, necessarily two hundred times more um, watching League of Legends than uh, than watching CNN. So every person watching CNN, there's. 200 people watching League of Legends. So let me just, just just put that in your pipe and smoke it. I think there's a that, that's a lot to consider, quite frankly. So anyways, hey, guess what? Last one. New homes in England. Guess what they're going to have to do? Guess what everybody's going to have to do? What do you think? What do you think? Hmm. What are we going to do? Guess what? New homes in England, they have to have an electric car chargers. Now, by law. So the government said it's going to move to see up to 144,000 charging points installed across the country every year. New supermarkets, workplaces, and buildings, any major renovation is going to come under to the new law. And they're going to, of course, they're, you know, kind of pushing the electrical cars. So guess what? They're going to make it a law in England. They're making it a law in England that any new home constructed now has to have an electric charger connected to it. That's pretty big. That's a pretty big deal. Again, um, this is this is the we're seeing this coming. This is the implication of the the change that's happening around electric cars and the um, the infrastructure that's going to have to be built. And so, yeah, we always need a roofer to come out and install roofs on our house, and we always need to have somebody install cement. We never had to ever install the level of electrical power now to a home, and a charger now is going to have to be part of every home that's built in England. So it's uh that's a pretty big deal. I think that's a pretty big, pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. Anyway, so that's your that's your hustle is the hack. Uh stack of stuff, the mighty, the mighty stack of stuff. And uh anyways, well we're at the end here. I hope you're having an awesome day. 
And uh, it is uh, fun to um, connect with all of you um, on the podcast and uh, spend our time together. Um, uh, you can check out my YouTube channel. Uh, that's another spot where you can check it out and uh, enjoy this podcast actually live streamed on Saturdays. And uh, catch, catch us over there. And then we redo the podcast here in awesome high definition audio quality for y'all because that's how much I am committed and care for the quality of this podcast. So I want to do another one just for some listeners on the podcast. So you have a super day. I'll talk to you all next week. And uh, if you don't have a good, well, hopefully you can have thanks, great Thanksgiving together with your family. If you're not, um, you know, we'll we'll be praying for you. (laughs) Uh, You're invited over to my place. Uh, We always have guests over for Thanksgiving. The house is full. I'm cooking turkey and Brussels sprouts. So you're all welcome. If you want to come on over, just send me an email, Pierre at hustleisthehack.com. You can check the website out. Uh, I appreciate y'all and y'all have a great, awesome day.